this morning I'm going to be sharing something. You know, the last, this last little while, the Lord has really been, you know, placing on my heart just, you know, messages that will, will draw you closer to Him. You know, that will, you know, will really just, you know, cause you to get to a place where you just recognize how awesome God is. You know, I think sometimes our limitation, our limitations that we place on God are the biggest problem to seeing Him move in our lives. How many of you believe that God is amazing? Just amazing. Just beyond comprehension. Beyond what, beyond what we can imagine, actually. You know, I think, I think sometimes he, he, he looks at us and He's like, wake up. You know, just wake up. You know, don't you know who I am? When Moses said to him, you know, who should I say that you are? When I say to the children of Israel, what's your name? He said, I am that I am. What a name. What a name. I mean, how can there be any other name? Because we can't, we can't give him a name. He's so great. And the problem is, is that we have a tendency to try and put a border around him of, of how and what he is capable of doing and also of being. Who is God? Who is he to you? And what can he do? And is he a God of anger or a God of love? Or what type of God is he? And so this morning, I want to talk to you about spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness, not natural blindness. In the natural, if you're blind, you can't see. If you cannot hear in the natural, then you physically cannot hear. But the Bible describes a condition from the Old Testament time all the way through the New Testament called spiritual blindness and spiritual deafness. And this was a major problem to God's people. It's not a new concept, although Jesus was very intentional about addressing spiritual deafness and spiritual blindness. So it was also in the Old Testament when God addressed the same thing many times. And when he describes these things, spiritual deafness, spiritual blindness, he's talking to his people. So it's not something the world has. We know they can't see. We know they can't hear. But when you're a child of God, whether it be Old Testament or New Testament, you should be able to see and you should be able to hear. So let's break this down. Let's get into this a little bit this morning and um, talk about the subject that I, I feel is so incredibly important because I really believe part of the limitations that we have on God is simply because we're spiritually blind or spiritually deaf. Isaiah 42 verse 18 says, Hear you deaf, and look you blind, that you may see. Jeremiah 5.21 says, Hear this now, O foolish people. He's speaking to the children of Israel. You foolish people without understanding, who have eyes and see not, and who have ears and hear not. He's not addressing a physical deafness and a physical blindness. He's addressing a spiritual one. 
He's saying that you are the children of God. You are His people. You know, you know Him. You have seen what He does, what He has done for you, yet you still cannot see. And yet you still do not hear. And how do we know this? Because of the way they do things. Because of the way they respond to Him. He tells us the cause of this in Ezekiel 12 verse 2. He refers to these people as rebellious. Watch this. He says, Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house which has eyes to see but does not see and ears to hear but does not hear for they are a rebellious house. So these people in the midst of a prophet, Ezekiel, a great prophet, the Lord says to them, listen, you are rebellious. And the reason why you are rebellious is because you have no excuse. You have eyes and you have ears. And he's saying, listen, in the midst of prophets and the temple and, and, and spiritual things that you've experienced and you know God, you, you, should, you should believe, you should have faith, you should trust Him because you have no excuse. You, you, you're a rebellious people. No, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the person about four seats down from you. <laughs> he says, you know, if you think about it, the children of Israel, I mean, they, they experienced God in the most miraculous way from being delivered out of Egypt the way they were delivered, crossing the Red Sea and going into the wilderness and be, being provided for with, with manna and, and, and a rock that provides water. And, and I mean, miracle after miracle, a, a, a cloud, or a pillar of, of fire and a cloud of smoke, the supernatural presence and power of God, provision of God. Moses goes up the mountain. There's a smoke coming off the mountain and lightnings and thunder and the voice of God. And the people are seeing this. And God says to them, Later, a few years later, years later, he says to him, what? You're blind. You're deaf. You're rebellious because you still don't believe. You still don't believe who I am. God is saying this to his people, and it's incredible because this is not something that stops with the children of Israel. It is a trend that goes on throughout the ages when Jesus was on the earth, after Jesus was on the earth, and even now, God's people walk with blinkers on, and they're deaf, because they do not hear. They, they have eyes, but they do not see. They're without excuse. We are without excuse. Now, the Bible is so amazing, and, and I've never seen what I saw this week, because you know, you read Scripture, and you, you're studying, and you go from one place to another place, and, you know, and so I'm busy reading Scripture, and I'm, I'm, I'm reading about spiritual blindness and, I'm, and spiritual deafness, and I'm trying to understand it more and really get to the bottom of it so I can share it with you so that we can be changed, so that our eyes will go open, so that our ears will go open, because when your eyes are open and when your ears are open, I want to tell you, God can do anything. God will do anything. There is no limitation to what is capable, what He's capable of doing in your life. 
His awesomeness. And even when things don't go well, even when things go wrong, you're going to be okay because you will recognize who it is that is with you. So the book of Mark tells an incredible story and we'll exegize the text together. We'll go through it from one point to another point without any real interruptions. What I mean by that is I'm not going to jump around. I'm going to stay in this text to show you how intentional Mark is when he writes this to make sure we grasp this because it is extremely powerful. Let's go to Mark 7 verse 31. Mark 7 verse 31. So he's sharing with us about Jesus. And again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. Then they brought him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they begged him to put his hands on him. So they wanted this man to be healed because he was a mute He couldn't hear and he couldn't speak. He was deaf and he couldn't speak. And so they took him aside. So so Jesus, in verse 33, it says, and he took him aside from the multitude. So they brought him, they begged him to heal him. They took him, Jesus takes him aside and he's about to perform a miracle. Now watch this because it's really powerful. It says that, and Jesus put his fingers in his ears. And he spat and touched his tongue. So Jesus is with this man that can't hear and is a mute. And he takes him aside and he stands with him and he goes, and he begins to do the miracle. Now, we know he put his finger in his ears. I don't know what he did when they say he spat, whether he like spat on him or whether he spat on his fingers or whether he said, open your mouth. And I don't know. But it sounds pretty rough to me. (laughs) Now, you need to understand something. This is not the first miracle in the Bible. There's already been many miracles. And there have been other people that were deaf that have been able to hear already. So this man's brought. Jesus doesn't just say, be healed, and it's done. There are times where people get healed when Jesus is not even with them. They get healed. But in this case, he's at this point with his disciples and with those that are following him where he does something abnormal, something that's peculiar. He even sticks his finger in their ears, spits and prays for the man. And the Bible tells us, then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephatha, this is be opened. And immediately his ears were opened. And the impediment of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly. Isn't that awesome? Then he commanded them that they should tell no one. But the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. See the rebellious people everywhere. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. So you must understand, he makes the deaf, he makes the the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. So they see a miracle, a powerful miracle. Jesus does this supernatural miracle. 
where this guy is now able to hear for the first time. He's able to speak for the first time. Isn't that powerful? He couldn't hear before, now he can hear. It's not necessarily a conventional way that he gets healed. Jesus has done miracles before that are more conventional, more that we would be happy with. But this miracle is a little bit out there. Let's continue. Mark 8, verse number 1. We go to Mark 8. That's the same, just continuing in the text. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and having nothing to eat. Now understand, Jesus is doing miracles. He's busy ministering. There's a multitude that's with him. Obviously, they're hearing about the miracles. They're hearing about what Jesus is doing. And they're beginning to follow him to the point where we'll find out in just a moment that this is thousands. This is not just a few people that are following. This is literally thousands. And he says to his disciples in verse number three, and if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way. For some of them have come from afar. So people were hearing about Jesus and coming from afar. Then his disciples answered and said, how can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And they set them before the multitude. Verse number seven. They also had a few small fish and having blessed them, he said to, to set them also before them. So they ate and were filled. And they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000. 4,000 people. Jesus feeds 4,000 people. And after he fed them, the Bible says, and he sent them away. Immediately got into the boat with his disciples and came to the region of Dalmanathua, verse 11. So they've done all the miracles. They've crossed over to another region. Then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. What? Seeking a sign? The Pharisees who have seen Jesus do miracles, have heard about all the miracles. When they see him, they go to him, they start to argue with him, and then they say, listen, you need to give us a sign. And I can't even, I can't begin to begin to think what was Jesus thinking when they said, give us a sign. Except, listen, how many signs do you want? How many signs do you need? How much evidence do I need to show you before you will begin to believe that I am? How long will it take? How much more do I need to do before you will begin to believe? You see, he didn't fit the mold. He didn't fit what they expected or what they wanted. But don't think that this was anything new because God didn't quite fit in with what they wanted him to be either in the wilderness. And when 
He was doing miracles for them. And when they were his chosen people and he set them apart and provided a way of atonement for them and blessed them, they also walked around saying, we need more, Lord. This isn't good enough. Send us back to Egypt. They were moaning and complaining and said, just give us another sign. Just do something else, Lord. You see, there's nothing wrong with the sign because the signs will always be there because that's who he is. But it's us that's constantly saying, give me another one. I need another one. Then I'll believe. You know, then I'll really get saved. You know, the Pharisees are going, listen, you know, you know we like what you're doing a little bit except when you do it on Sundays because that's a problem for us. But, you know, if you do it on Mondays to, to Saturday, it's okay. But just do one more because if you do one more, then we'll believe. And then he does another 25 and then they go, well, you know, I think maybe you should just give us one more sign. Just do one more thing and then, you know, maybe we'll believe. This is what the religious people are doing. You see, the religious will always come to test. They'll come to test, but they'll never, ever give their heart. So they come and they begin to test Jesus. And he doesn't really enjoy this testing. He doesn't enjoy the attitude. So in verse number 12, it says, But he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? How many signs do I need to do? I've done so many signs. This is what he must have been thinking. They're asking him for a sign, and he sighs, and he, says, he thinks to himself, Man, will you never change? You will never change. You wanted a sign in the wilderness. You wanted more in the wilderness. Water from a rock isn't good enough for you. Manna from heaven isn't good enough for you. A priesthood is not good enough for you. Miracles, signs, and wonders, pillars of fire and clouds of smoke, it's not good enough for you. And again, they say, listen, we need another sign. And Jesus says, oh, why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. And he left them, and he gets into the boat with his wonderful disciples. Relief, right? No. Departing to the other side, Jesus is finally away from those Pharisees, you know, that religious bunch. But his disciples, we never like that, right? Come on, you're not a Pharisee, you're a disciple, right? You better say amen now or else, oh my. Now, the disciples had forgotten to take bread. So they're going on this journey now to the other side of the, of the Sea of Galilee. They forgot to take bread. And they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Verse 15. Then he charged them, saying, take heed, be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So immediately, they're busy worrying about the bread. And they think, oh my gosh, we forgot to do this. And we forgot to do that. Jesus can't get the fact that He's thinking about his people. He's thinking about the Pharisees and the leaven. And he warns his disciples and he says, listen, don't have that leaven. Don't have that unbelief. Don't have that rebellion inside you. Don't rebel against who God is. Don't rebel against who I am. I've been sent to set the captive free. I've been sent to heal the brokenhearted. I've been sent to heal you, to touch you, to deliver you. I am the God of all creation. He's sitting with him, and he says to him, don't be like them. He doesn't quite say it like that, you know what I mean? But he says it. <laughs> he says, 
don't have that leaven, don't have that, that, that unbelief, don't have that rebellion in you like the children of Israel, like the Pharisees. Now watch. And they reasoned among themselves saying, it is because we have no bread. What's wrong with them? They're thinking it's because he's talking about they didn't have leaven, they didn't have bread. It's got nothing to do with bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, so he knew their thoughts, he knew their discussion, said to them, why do you reason? Because you have no bread. Watch. Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? Remember what? Remember every miracle. Remember every sign. Remember everything he did, but not only what he did, what his father did. What God has been doing all along from the very beginning of creation, God has been awesome in every single way. And he has blessed his people and loved his people and walked with his people, but they always choose to harden their hearts and close their eyes and shut their ears. So his disciples, his beloved, he says, listen, what's wrong with you, disciple? How is it that you still cannot see? How is it that you still cannot hear? Where have you been? You worried about a loaf of bread, really? Don't you yet understand? So he's frustrated. Are you with me? And he says to them, can't you remember everything I've done? And they're looking at him. And then he reminds them just of a few of things. Verse 19, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets, how many, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said to him, 12. Also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. So he said to them, how is it that you don't understand? How can it be that you don't realize what's happening around you guys? How is a church that after everything God has done for us, that we still don't see? How is a church that we still don't believe? Well, you know, that doesn't suit my theology. That's your problem. Your theology, just like the leaven of the Pharisees, their theology is what messed them up. They failed to recognize what was happening. They missed their hour of visitation because they were too consumed with their theology. Dominations, different ideas, different opinions. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He cannot and will never change. But we can't see it. We don't recognize it. I'm relieved. I don't, I don't mock the disciples. I'm relieved. It gives me hope. We think, oh, they must have been really stupid because they were walking with Jesus. You can't blame them. You would have done the same. Not you, the person next to you. He says to them with like, how is it you don't understand? Now watch this. Straight after this, Mark 8, 22. We just finished 21. Look at this. 
Then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought him a blind man, first a deaf man, now a blind man, and begged him to touch him. The interesting thing is that both the first miracle of the deaf man and this miracle of the blind man are not in any other gospels, only this one, because the Lord is trying to speak to you and I. He's trying to tell us something. We need to pay attention. Watch this now. They brought him a blind man and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of town. You see, the first man, he took them away from the multitude. This one, he takes them away. Why? Because you don't need all the noise. You don't need all the noise of everybody trying to tell you this is how you must do it. That's how you must do it. That's what you need to do. You can't repent. You mustn't repent. You must repent. You must do this. You must do that. Jesus is saying, all you need is me. All you need is me. I'm all you need. So he takes him again out of town. (laughs) And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him. I love this. Imagine that. Come here, let me spit on your eyes. He didn't fit the mold. He didn't fit what we expect it to be like. Another miracle, Lord. Just one more sign. Just one more thing. You know, if you come through for me now in this financial thing, Lord, I'll I'll serve you with my whole heart. If you touch my child, then I'll serve you, Lord. Have you forgotten Have you forgotten what he's already done? Have you forgotten what he has done? Have you read the word? Have you read his word? Have you not seen who he is? Have you not seen what he has done? Do you not recognize who this is that, that we're talking about? This is not just some little book with some little story. The man immediately, the Bible says, he took the blind man by the hand, led him out of town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everything clearly. Then he sent him away to the house saying, neither go into, into the town nor tell anyone in the town. I'm sure that worked out very well. In the first story, we see a deaf and mute person healed. He feeds the 4,000 and teaches us about having to have eyes to see and ears to hear. Then he heals someone who cannot see. He touches them. And straight after this, he does something remarkable. Watch this now. Mark 8, verse 27. We just finished verse 26. Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the town of Caesarea Philippi. And on the road, he asked his disciples, saying to them, who do men say that I am? You've got to get this, guys. This morning, you've got to get this, because this will change your life forever. Forever. He has just shown them what, what we have been like as a people, with blind eyes and deaf ears, not recognizing who he truly is. Then after he's shown his disciples all of this and already rebuked them and said to them, listen, don't you understand? Then he goes and he opens a blind eye again. Then he takes them to Caesarea Philippi and while he's walking with them, after all of this has taken place, he says to his disciples, listen, who do men 
say that I am. I want to continue the story in, in Matthew, but I wanted to show you that the context is 100% in line. So let's go to Matthew 16, verse 14. We'll literally answer the question from where we left off. He says, So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He wanted to know after everything that you have seen, after everything that you've experienced, after what you know, who do men say that I am? And immediately they begin to go, some say this one and some say that one and some think this and some think that. And then he asks the most important question that you will ever be asked. Who do you say that I am? He says this to his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And finally, finally, Jesus responds. It says in 17, Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus has been in anguish as the Father has been, because his people never realize who he really is. Finally, Jesus is with Peter and his disciples and says, who do men say that I am? And the answer was not surprising. Some say a prophet, some say Elijah, some say this and some say that. And Jesus has been trying to get in, into their heads. Don't you understand? And he says, let me ask you a question. Who do you say I am? And they look at him with these big eyes. Nobody has an answer, but suddenly something happens to Peter. Suddenly something happens. He, he For a moment, he stops and he thinks and he says, he says, God, you're the one who parted the Red Sea. You're the one who delivered them out of Egypt. You're the one who was the cloud of, of, of smoke and the pillar of fire. You're the one who fed them in the wilderness. You're the one who was the God of Elijah. You're the one, and he says, he says to him, you are the Christ. You are the Son of God. And in that moment, Jesus says, oh, yes, Simon, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You have understood something that I've been trying to teach them forever. I should keep my eyes closed because you looked a whole lot better with my eyes closed. You looked so much better. It really looked like you got it with my eyes closed. The problem is you want another miracle. You need another breakthrough. You need something else to happen in your family before you'll believe. But the fact of the matter is, do you understand that He is the Son of God, that He is God come in the flesh, that there is nobody, nobody like Him. There is nothing, nobody, nothing, no one can compare. He is God. Do you understand who it is that you serve? There is no limitation. There is nothing too big for Him. There is no challenge, no mountain, no problem. That's too much for Him. And even when your answer doesn't come, even when your problem doesn't come, He'll get you to the finish line. He'll finish your race because He is the God of all creation, of all and all and all and all. Hallelujah. 
he says to Simon, he says, listen, this is what I've been waiting for. Finally, it is this that I will build my church on. When they fully understand, when they fully recognize the magnitude of who I am. And when they do, the gates of hell will not prevail against them. And I will give you, you who believe, you who trust, you whose eyes have gone open and ears have gone open, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I'm sorry that I'm shouting, but I can't not shout. Because I understand. I understand who He is. And when you understand, you cannot be the same anymore. When you grasp who He is, you cannot be the same anymore. Come on, somebody give the Lord a shout. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Take your seats. The religious people knew everything about God, but they failed to recognize Him. And it took a fisherman in one split second. Of course, it was a fisherman. <laughs> To understand, I understand who I'm standing before. I recognize who you are. Understand something, that he believed when Jesus filled his boat with fish and said to him, follow me. But he didn't really believe. See, there are many that believe in him. Disciples, their eyes are closed and their ears are shut because their hearts have hardened. It doesn't matter how bad your situation is, but God. Guys, if we can understand this, if we can grasp this and be open to the fullness of our awesome God, do you realize what will happen to America? What will happen? This is nonsense. Shut up, you Pharisee. Shut up, man. I, I can't. Listen. Joshua and Caleb also saw all the negativity. They saw all the problems. They saw all the giants, but they came back and they said, let's go take the land. Why? Because they recognized their God. They understood who He was. God is raising up a church of believers, disciples, who will believe that He is. And listen, your faith will waver. We all do. But get back up. Get back up and continue to run. Don't stay in that situation. Don't let it fester and destroy you. Come out of it. Come out of it. Well, you know, I'm so afraid. Well, He will give you a spirit of love and power and a sound mind. You don't have to live in that fear. Do you know who He is? 
He is God, guys. He is. When, when Moses said to him, who are you? He said, I am. Why? Because there's, there's, there's no name for him. He's too awesome. The awesome isn't the right word because there's no word. Amen. So this morning in this place, let us be a people that desire to go after him. Man, I, when, when I preach it like this, it's like I feel it. It's like I can feel it. I can feel that Jesus' frustration with the Pharisees and his own disciples. And I know I've been in that place millions of times. But there are those moments when I recognize who he really is. Come on, let's do that this morning. Let's take a moment and just honor him. He is our God. And we are so fortunate. Do you know how fortunate you are that you know him? There are many out there that don't know him. They've never been given the opportunity to even give their lives to him. You know him. Don't worry about your ridiculous sin and give your life to him fully and you'll see that thing fizzle away. You won't want it, you'll run away from it. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning. There are no words to describe you, Lord. There are no words. But let our eyes, even for just a moment this morning, go open. And our ears. So that we can comprehend the length, the depth, the breadth. Of your majesty, your love, who you are. We are just so fortunate to know you. How can we limit you? How can we say that you don't do this anymore or don't do that anymore or can't do this or can't do that? Let us be like Peter on that day, Lord, that despite what some say, we recognize, we recognize you. You are the one who has given us life. You are the one who has given us breath. Everything we are is because of you. So this morning in this place, I give my life to you. I give my heart to you. Because I believe, Lord. Come on, if you believe, just say it to him this morning. Come on, don't be afraid. Don't be embarrassed of your neighbor. Just say, I believe. Say it loud. Come on, say, I believe. I believe. Lord, we believe this morning in this place. And we are so thankful, so grateful to you. We love you, Lord. Despite our weaknesses, our failures, our shortcomings, we stand this morning with nothing else except faith that you are and that you will always be. Thank you for your grace and for your mercy and for your love. Thank you for each and every precious person in this building that you have called by name. You have called them out, Lord. 
they are yours. We honor you in this place. We worship you in this place. And we give you thanks in this place. Let us walk as you desire for us to walk. In the name that is above every name. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Just if you want to just raise your hands for just a second. Father, I pray that you bless them. That you strengthen them. Oh God. That you reveal yourself to them. That our eyes would go open and our ears would go open. Really, Lord, more of you and less of me. Let that be our prayer. In the name of Jesus, have your way in our lives. Now I pray that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that the love of the Father and the fellowship with the Holy Spirit be with every one of you. You are blessed and He loves you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit.